writing. Let's start off first with uh, Psalm 127 and then Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Let us hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger, you who have been my help. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Then Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirits, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to share by way of opening up a, um, an analogy of a, uh, someone who is, um, who is on their couch, not quite a couch potato, and is really hungry, and they're just a few feet away, and the kitchen is a refrigerator full of food, and he or she um, isn't aware that that refrigerator, that kitchen holds the food, the key to the nourishment, so that their hunger can be fulfilled, um, and yeah, not aware that there that there is the source of strength, the source of of food and and nourishment. What would take that individual, that man or woman, to walk over to that fridge, to walk over and actually open it, recognize there to be food, take it, eat it? enjoy it, savor it, and then say thank you, right? That's a lot of parts and a lot of steps. 
if we broke that down, right, there has to be one, a recognition of need. I am hungry. A recognition somehow that a few feet away is the source of the food. Number three, the will, the energy to get up from the couch, right? Number four, to get up from the couch and to walk toward the fridge. Number five, the energy to do all of that and to open the fridge. Number six, to recognize that once the fridge is open, there's the food, right? Number eight, is that seven or eight? Eight, to write the energy and the will to get that food and then to eat it, right? Number nine, to chew and to savor the food. Number 10, to be hopefully satisfied. Number 11, to then say thank you to the source of whoever prepared the food, right? And then number 12, having learned that and known that, to then know in the future, if I'm hungry, I can go and do that again and again and again. Sound familiar? That's the journey of faith in some ways, right? Where many folks have said, right, that the journey of faith is teaching another hungry person of Jesus who is, who is our bread, right? The source of our the source of our strength. And that's what faith and life is in some way, right? That we all are trying to encourage each other. All of us are hungry or all of us are thirsty. And here's the source of our, our life, the wellspring of life, the bread of life. Fellow companions, fellow bread eaters, right? Now, in order to do all of that in that, in that comparison, so many things is going on. We need recognition. We need clarity of thought. We need to recognize our need. We need to have the will. We need to have the trust that that food that we're going to partake of is going to be nourishing. And we need to have the trust that that pattern of doing it again and again will be life-giving for us and life-sustaining. What's going on in Scripture again and again, and particularly with this theme of light, Right? Light in Scripture is a granting clarity, illumination, uh, revelation, disclosure, uh, showing us what perhaps we have forgotten or perhaps was hidden um, or perhaps was eclipsed by something else or someone else. In these texts, in Psalm 27 and Psalm 139, the it of what is covering or what is blocking the path or that's blocking our sight, right, are the deep challenges of faith and life, right? The deep challenges that uh, King David, that Israel, that any person and people of faith confront. And what it feels like to David and his descendants and to Israel and by derivation, all of people of faith, whether you're a king or a queen or not, right? whether you're young or old, rich or poor, all the deep challenges that we confront that seem to eclipse, that seem to 
overshadow the promises and love of God. And how is it that we can, how is it that we and that the people of God can continually be pattering, receive the pattern that when we go to God in life's and faith's deep challenges, those circumstances that really challenge our faith, that the pattern that we have learned and that we have seen and that we have received again and again, that that same pattern will be built into our DNA, right? So that it becomes as easy as breathing air every day, that we don't even think about it, right? That our, our reflex, our instinct, our heart's reflex is, ah, okay, the Lord is my light and my salvation, right? The Lord, therefore, whom shall I be afraid? if the Lord is our strength, which he is, right? That's what's at stake in, in Psalm 27 and Psalm 139 and in the witness of Scripture, that when life presses in, how is it that we as people of faith can wait on the Lord, take courage, and place our trust in the Lord whose promises are sure and certain, even though and even when life and faith's challenges seems to say otherwise. Now last year when we, uh, when we as a church uh, were looking, or two years ago when we were looking at the, um, at the theme of the Protestant Reformation, remember that? Way, way back when, right? That seems just so long ago, but it was just like a year and a half ago or so. The, the Protestant Reformation, we were celebrating, right, the 500th anniversary of, of, of that, uh, 2017 it was. And uh, we three pastors um, led you all in the um, various doctrines, right, of the Protestant Reformation. One of the key doctrines that the Protestant Reformers uh, focused on, particularly with the doctrine of the Scriptures, is what they called the doctrine of perspicuity, perspicuity, um, P-E-R-S-P-I-C-U-I-T-Y, right, perspicuity. That's a nice spelling B word, right, perspicuity, perspicuity. So perspicuity essentially says this, and this is what the reformers said, and this is what Martin Luther said in his rebuttal to Erasmus of Rotterdam, where Erasmus was essentially saying that the mystery of Scripture is not clear, and that's why regular people, all of us, regular people need the priest, and only the priest, who know Latin, who know the languages, to explain it to us. And Martin Luther essentially said, that's hogwash, because the Scriptures are, have a perspicuity. And what he was saying is, is that the Scriptures themselves are clear enough. Claro. There's clarity built in. It's clear as to uh, what the scripture says about life, about God, about human beings, about our brokenness, about our sinfulness. It's clear about what we ought not to do and what, what we should do, telling the truth, loving each other, all that. That it's, it's clear. It's self-evident. But, then he asked, if the text is clear, if the scriptures itself is perspicuous, what about the readers? What about us? And so the reformers tacked on another term. 
perspicacity. So there is a perspicuity, but then the perspicacity, which is discernment. So perspicacity, P-E-R-S-P-I-C-A-C-I-T-Y, right? P-E-R-S-P-I-C-A-C-I-T-Y, perspicacity. What's perspicacity? Perspicacity and perspicuity come from the same Latin uh, um, origin, which is light. It's, it's light. It's self-evident. So on the one hand, Scripture is perspicuous, right? It has, it's self-evident. It's clear. The question is, the ones who are reading it, us, human beings, when we look at it, when we read it, when we hear it, do we have perspicacity? Do we have clarity of mind? Can we discern what it's saying? And the reformers said, no. We are like that individual on the couch. We don't on our own. We are not perspicacious. We're not. We are not perspicacious. In other words, we're not clear. We're foggy. Now, why are we foggy? Why are we foggy or why are we blind? Because, they say, because of sin. Sin has blocked out our ability and our capacity to recognize truth. That our sin, our brokenness, our, our rebellion, our stubbornness, all those things, all the all the uh, expressions of sin, right? Our refusal, our pride, all those things, right? We refuse to get up from the couch. Or when we do, we refuse to open the fridge. Or once we do, we refuse or we're not aware that that food in there is food. Or once we know it's food, right? Or once we know it's truth, we don't want to taste it. Or once we taste it, we don't want to swallow. Or when we do, we refuse to say thank you. You get it? That each and every point, at each and every point, our hearts, our minds are needing enlightenment, illumination, clarity, again and again and again. And that it's a lifelong thing. right? But the key is, are our hearts, our minds being renewed and broken again and again and again? That's why we have the uh, weekly and hopefully you do daily uh, prayer of confession. Right? That's why every time we gather together on Sunday for corporate worship, there's always an assurance of pardon. Right? And that assurance of pardon hopefully is like, yeah, let's, let's reset again. You know, um, uh, these days, or not these days, every day, but... Uh, our boys are just like, they're 15 and 14, they're growing by leaps and bounds, and they require a lot of calories. And I'm, ast I'm astounded every time at the end of the day, and I was saying this last night uh, to the whole family, is, this was like 9 o'clock, 9, 10 o'clock, uh, you know, Grace and I are, are cleaning the kitchen and, and, and loading the dishes and the dishwasher, and I was saying how, you know, the sink is sort of like a, like a fossil record. 
because it goes from like, okay, what we had for breakfast all the way to dinner. You could see, oh yeah, I remember that 15 hours ago. That's what we had. And then we, and I, and I keep saying this. I say, I'm astounded for a family of four, the number of dishes we have. It's like, this is a family of eight, right? It's a family of eight. And now, why did I say that? Because what, you know, what's happening there is the overwhelming amount, right, of what is in front of us, but yet do we come to appreciate the moments in which in the times of overwhelmingness, who or what is before us is actually blessing? Now, Psalm 27, right, the context is King David and all the kings. It's not just King David, right? Anyone who's part of the family of David, they experience conspiracy, people trying to undo his rule, trying to question God's love, trying to, trying to undo Israel. So not only political parties, but also conspirators. Those who are trying to contradict, trying to contravene God's, God's love, God's promise. Doubts creep in. And so as King David and, his, and the community around him are writing and singing, they're, they're singing the songs, he's writing also on behalf of Israel. Right? The people of Israel are also wondering, well, wait a minute, Lord, what happened? We know certain things about you. You are our light and our salvation. And we are convinced of that. But yet, what it feels like, and here's, here's where the emotions of the Psalms come in, it sure feels like that armies are encamped around us. Now, were there literal, literal armies? Yes, in some instances there were, right? There were actual armies that invaded Jerusalem, that attacked that attacked David. But that wasn't always the case. But it sure feels like that, right? That when we are all confronted as people of faith, as, as people who are striving to follow Jesus as best as we can, trying to follow God's ways as best as we can, when we are pressed on all sides, it sure feels like, right? The armies and the battalions are pressed around. And so that's where the psalmist then is saying, my light, my salvation, of whom shall I fear? The stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Now, when is the first place in Scripture that we, we encounter light? Creation. In creation, right? Let there be light. God speaks it. Boom. The creative power of God creates light. Now, that light occurs at a point when there's a, a void, right? There's nothing there. And so out of the darkness, God uh, speaks, uh, speaks light. Now notice in the, in the, in the opening uh, uh, pages of Genesis, out of the darkness is light, out of the void nothingness, light comes. And just a few verses later, there's this, this uh, the waters, Right? The waters come, and if you recall there, if you want to turn to Genesis 1, but we don't have time to do that, but I invite you to go over there. Who is hovering over the waters? 
the Spirit, right? It's uh, translated the Spirit of God or the breath of God is hovering over the waters. Now, let's for a moment, just for a few uh, minutes, talk about water because the water, the light, the darkness is very key. The image of, of water there and water in Scripture has um, at least two meanings. On the one hand, water is life-giving, isn't it? Water quenches thirst. Water is the one that cleanses sin. Water is in which we were baptized and so forth. So water is life-giving, life-nourishing. The other part of water is that it is destructive, right? Think of Noah's flood. Granted, there was a promise to cleanse the earth and so forth, but there was destruction. Think of uh, Pharaoh's armies as the Red Sea was parted and then it collapsed upon them, right? Water, as floods we know, and rains that rain and rain and rain has a destructive power. Water also had another quality to it. And we think about, for instance, uh, Jesus and his disciples in the lake. Um, in, the, in the lake, and it was uh, the water exhibited that they didn't know what was on the other side. Water had a quality of mystery of the unknown. Um, imagine being stranded in the middle of the vast ocean. Right? You don't know what is over there or under. Um, the, the, the murkiness of uh, yeah, mystery, ambiguity, um, uh, uh, water meant chaos. Water meant chaos, as did darkness. And what we find then in Genesis is the breath of God hovering over the water, the watery chaos, darkness, uncertainty, juxtaposed to the God who declares light out of the void. Out of the darkness comes light. Right? And so what we have here is this juxtaposition, light and darkness, spirit and water, mystery, unknown, certainty, order, all in one. Psalm 27 is an invitation to consider that what seems unknown and what seems unknown, here's the scary part, we don't know what the future holds, but the present is we are encamped, armies are encamped around us. This is what we're experiencing. The deep challenges of life and faith. This is the present, and it's sure taking long. So does this mean this is the future too? Are you with me? That if the present tense, if the present moment of this time is, we are experiencing all of these particular challenges that are beginning to question our faith, does that mean then that our future, which is unknown, right? We don't know what the future is. But is the future known? That the known future is, oh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and next year will be those same challenges too? And so the mystery then becomes certainty that, yeah, we're certain that we're going to be stuck in this place. Because that's not the future that we want. 
right? That if it's a true mystery that we don't know what tomorrow will be, that we can live for tomorrow and live for the next day and the next day, then that, there's grounds for hope, right? But if the tomorrow, 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 if somehow the challenges of life and faith convince us that the tomorrow will be like today and yesterday, then I don't want that. I'd rather live in the mystery of the hope that, yeah, tomorrow or next year might be better. And so what is King David and the psalmist's response to that future that seems like a certain future of challenges? King David is saying that that tomorrow is that God is our refuge and our strength, or the Lord is my light and my salvation. Get it? Because if we don't trust in that, it feels like as if we are orphan children, as they say here, whose parents have hid their face, or like a father and mother who have forsaken us. And that's a scary place to be. If my present tense right now is, it sure feels like God has hidden his face from me, from us, as his children. And if tomorrow feels like that too, I don't want that forsakenness. And so, the psalmist, King David, his community is almost like nudging God. We know, we know that you haven't, you haven't forgotten us. We know that your face is still shining. That's what the psalmist is doing in these, in these verses both singing and praying, almost, yeah, let's praise God, the Lord is my light and my salvation, right? Of whom shall I fear? But the underlying thing is, but we're fearing. Right, let's not minimize that. Um, the Lord is my light and my whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, one thing I ask for the Lord that will I seek after to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So in a few, in a matter of few verses, we see this sort of cycle. It's almost like a cycle of life, right? The high, the low, the high, the low, the mountaintop, the valley, all mixed in there. It's like a chaotic order or ordered chaos. Whatever you want, it's just all mixed in there. Right? And that's how life and faith is. Uh, Jack preached on this uh, on Sunday, right? Light and dark and dark and light, and it's held all together somehow. And when Psalm 27 says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path, right? Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries. And then he goes on to say to end, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord, waiting, right? This is not a waiting on a hammock with a drink and an umbrella. This is, let us, let us, um, let us uh, uh, be, be disciplined and patterned in the promises of God for us. Uh, continually trusting in his promises that are sure and steadfast. What is at the heart of Psalm 27? As with any scripture, the covenant of God. Right? God has covenanted with us and because of God's covenant, God's promises that are sure and certain, um, God will fulfill his promises even though it doesn't feel like it. 
even though it doesn't seem like it. Um, it is always dependent upon God's own faithfulness. I'm, I'm, um, I'm counseling uh, two couples um, uh, these days. I'm, uh, one couple is being married in, I'm marrying them in July and another one in November. So these parallel premarital counseling sessions. And I emphasize to them, as does Jack and Jan with uh, couples that they marry, right, that um, uh, marriage as a, as a covenant, and that as a covenant, not a contract, as a covenant, and the biblical vision of covenant is that it's at least two or more parties making a promise, right? The couple, uh, couple with God, all those gathered in the, in the wedding are making a promise to the couple to pray for them, to love them, to support them. And when we preach at a wedding, we pray that all those who are gathered at the wedding, regardless of whatever particular condition, married, single, divorced, widowed, whatever might be the case, that there would be integrity in all of our relationships. Isn't there? Right? That there be faithfulness in our parenting, in our friendships, in, uh, in our, in our uh, relationships with our significant others. All those. And, never, and particularly with marriage because of the couple. Well, I say to the couples that the biblical vision of covenant is that it is multilateral. Right? It involves several people. Those gathered, the couple, God, God with us, and so forth. But it's unilateral in its fulfillment. Right? That even though God desires faithfulness from us, and we try as best as we can, we try to live out our promises as best as we can, but we lean upon God's strength, God's faithfulness, to fulfill that which we cannot. God's promises are multilateral in the arrangement, but unilateral in its fulfillment. Now, this doesn't get us off the hook, right? Like, okay, well, God, you're going to fulfill this, so let me just sort of stay on the couch. That would be equivalent to like, well, let me just stay here because somehow the food will somehow just come over here. The fridge will open up and that food will come over here and the food will be placed in my mouth and someone will move my mouth and, and chew it for me. Like, no, faith doesn't work that way. Unilateral fulfillment means, yeah, God, by God's grace, God will. God will keep his promises. That's how God works. But it's not a free license to just sort of give up and say, okay, well, Let's surrender. Let's surrender to, you know, let's surrender to sin. Let's surrender to, to this and that. No. Psalm 27 says, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. There's an intentionality. There's a, there's a desire. We're going to wait upon you because you have opened up our eyes. That's the purpose. You have opened up our eyes. You have, you have granted us perspicacity. The clearness to see, oh, yeah, there's more to life because you are our life. Whereas before, when our eyes and hearts were blocked, when there wasn't any perspicacity, then there's reason to give up, right? Then it's understandable, oh, yeah, there is a reason why you shouldn't have courage. There is a reason why you should be fearful if you're not aware that the Lord is your strength. 
right? But because we have been given the hope and that the blinders have been lifted, then what we're to do is to encourage each other. And the Psalms is but one vehicle to do that. Let's encourage each other because the, right, God's word was given in a community. So we could encourage each other in life's challenges and faith's challenges so that we can continue to live in hope in the promise of the God who keeps his promises again and again, even though it, boy, life's circumstances and conditions seem to say otherwise. So let's go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is what is described by Bible scholars as, uh, in a group of psalms, and I've listed some of them here, imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory, and there's a spelling, so I'm not going to spell it out for you right there. Imprecatory. Imprecatory. And imprecatory is essentially saying, calling upon God to judge God's enemies or perceived enemies. Now, just like the prophets, and who is my favorite prophet? Who's my favorite prophet? Habakkuk. Remember Habakkuk? Love Habakkuk. Love Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Habakkuk, like Jeremiah, are honest. They are honest conversation partners. Right? Habakkuk and the prophets and the psalms, psalmists are honest with God. Where they're essentially saying, we're scared or we're fearful, or we're wondering why you seem to be hiding your face, or why you seem to be forsaking us and forgetting us. Where are you? And Psalm 139 is another example of honesty. It's called an imprecatory psalm, just like a group of other psalms, that's calling upon God to essentially wipe out enemies and perceived enemies. Now, how does this then square with God's, with the rest of Scripture that says God is love and so on and so forth? Is that what the psalmist is actually asking? Well, maybe, right, maybe. I mean, King David and his other, uh, you know, his family probably, likely want, you know, the enemies to be, you know, move them away. Somehow move them, if not wipe them out. But in most cases, do we actually want God to wipe out our enemies, our co-workers or our, our, our fellow resident at La Casa Glen. Like, do we actually want that? No matter how unlovable that they may seem. There was a, I think I shared this uh, last fall when uh, Grace and I went to the Balboa Theater to, um, to, uh, to watch and to listen to Rob Lowe. Remember him? Rob Lowe. You know, people in like La Casa Glen yesterday when I asked that they were like, they weren't sure who Rob Lowe was and then I reminded them. So we were there, we were seated in front of a, uh, a group of, they, they seemed like uh, mid-50s to early 60s, a group of women who were like high school, high school teens who were like, oh, there's Rob Lowe, all that. Well, Rob Lowe, as you know, I mean, he's faced uh, all sorts of addictions and so on and so forth and drinking and womanizing and so forth and He's learned from that, and he has a stable marriage now, has raised uh, two, two great sons. And he was saying how he, his wife doesn't like, like sleeping next to him because he sleeps so well. Like he sleeps instantly. Like 10.30 he'll sleep. And he says because when he's sleeping, he has these honest conversations in his sleep, in his dreams. 
And one of the honest conversations he has, and this is what brought the crowd to laughter, is that, oh, you know, he's thinking about all, dreaming about all sorts of things. And one of the things he thinks about are, like, the people he doesn't like. And sometimes, uh, in some of these dreams, he thinks about these people he doesn't like, and he, he imagines with great satisfaction of feeding them into a wood chipper. Uh, think of the movie Fargo, right? Right? Remember that? Upside down and the leg hanging out. Now, if any of you uh, have dreamt that or actually did that, come to Jack Jeremy for a, for a confessional booth, okay? But if we were honest, right? If we were honest, not honest to act upon it, but honest of what we're thinking. I mean, think about when we are confronted with someone who is just so, whatever they did, maybe they maligned you, gossiped about you, past or present. Deep down, just between you and God, what are you thinking? Are you thinking maybe some hot water will fall on them or they'll slip? I don't know. Wood chipper. Psalm 139 is saying, Wherever I go, whether I'm here in this place of meadows and mountains, valleys and flowers, or whether I go to where my enemies are, the place of darkness and death, whether I go to Sheol, translated hell in other places, whether I go to the deepest, darkest, unknown, mystery, scary ocean, or whether I go and try to escape from you, Lord. Wherever I go, you're actually there. Now, the implication, therefore, is, well, if you're there and here and everywhere, uh, you should do something then. Because what I know of you, and this is what it opens, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Well, if you've searched me and know me, then you know what I'm thinking and feeling. And by implication, you know what your people are thinking and feeling. That is what? We're scared, we're frightened, we're wondering, we're waiting. We don't know where you are. And so based on the knowledge that we have of you, the knowledge of that you know us, then do something. And that knowledge of knowing that you're there and that you're here and everywhere gives comfort give strength. Now, that's only possible by God's light shining that truth upon our hearts. The perspicacity that leads us to the perspicuity of Scripture. Let me end by this, on this note of Psalm 139. All of you know that every month I, I spend time with our preschoolers. 120 kids, 19 teachers, Village Church Preschool. And as a family ministries pastor, I, I, I attend to caring for them and their families. And every month, on a Thursday, Friday, spend time with the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and some of them five-year-olds. And I teach them about four, five songs and a lesson at Briggs Chapel, we, we sit there, and I teach them a lesson that's, that's pegged to the Kids Village curriculum, so we're all one, right? One of the songs that I teach them uh, is Ale, Ale, Alleluia, Ale, Ale, Alleluia. Now, to teach them that, right, 
Because it's morning, I say, let's do our stretches. So I had them stretch. So we all line up there. They stretch. Stretch up high, right? Stretch up low. Touch your toes. Stretch behind, right? Stretch to the side and to the side and in front and everywhere, right? And then we put it to the tune. Alle, 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 luhuya. Alle, 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 luhuya. Alle, alle, alle. Alleluia, alleluia. And then they say, Pastor Neil, let's do it faster and faster. I said, okay, let's do it again. <laughs> now, when I do, when I teach them that, I say, the reason we do that is because this. God's love is above and below and behind you. And I say, and Jesus' love is also beside you and also the other side. And Jesus' love is inside you and in front of you, and everywhere. Right? Right? That's Psalm 139. God's love is inescapable. Inescapable. And so, we pray that the light of God will continually shine forth from young and old, the truth of God, right? And therefore, the will of God, which is to love us, and that we would love him and love one another. Is it clear? There we go. There's the perspicacity of the truth of God. Amen. All right, let's do some uh, engagement um, with each other. I think we have about 10 minutes or so. Yeah, 10, 15 minutes. Any, any questions or any thoughts about that? couple who lives uh, out in the wilderness and they have 10 children and they say, oh, God's going to provide. But there's no action taken. Mm -hmm. And so I think that like going to the refrigerator, we too have to take action. Yeah, yeah, that's right. um, even, Even for someone who doesn't know the Lord, right? There is some sort of action even though they're not aware of it, let's say right? Um, either being in a place where the word of God could be heard. There is some sort of human action or, or actually someone coming to them to share the word. But in living out the faith, yeah, it does take, it does take action. That's why when uh, the apostle Paul in Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? It's not talking about, he's not saying there at all, oh, try to save yourself, right? It's work it out. In other words, uh, uh, Bear the fruit of your salvation. Let it express itself. Well, to express faith takes work, right? It takes um, planning to come here to Bible study, right? It takes uh, time to, uh, to go to Branch Barbecue this coming Saturday at 12 noon at Mariner's Point, right? It takes time to uh, bake, you know, five dozen cookies for the Deacon's Valentine's, all those kinds of things. It takes time to pray. So it's this uh, notion of... Uh, uh, human agency and divine agency and the partnership of that. All righty. Well, uh, bless you on your uh, small groups, small group gatherings. Why don't we look to the Lord in prayer? Oh, Father in heaven, we are uh, so grateful that you are our light and our salvation. You are the stronghold of our life and therefore we shall not be afraid. And 
even in the fears, O Lord, that we uh, carry, might your light uh, shine upon us, shine upon our minds and our hearts, that we would see you, that we would see the light of your truth, and that we might place our trust and our confidence in you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless my sisters in Christ here as they head out now into their small groups, that you would grant wisdom, and that you would grant each and all of us uh, strength and courage to lean upon you and to lean upon the strength and faith of Jesus Christ, your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, everyone.